Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Staff, your exploration of faith during this time of continued crisis. It is the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martin Kales River alongside the chapels of St. Mark and St. Monica. I am Lindsay Shooters. I am your host and I'm joined as always by the rector of our parish, the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. Hello, sir. How are you doing? Good day to you, sir. As always, we are considered ourselves to be blessed and fortunate. And um, a little touch of the cold has gotten to us, but um, I'm sure we can work our way through that. And uh, the family's all doing all church work in this week, but it's been very, very fruitful and very um, uh, enriching experiences. So, yeah, in, even though we've gone to a more stricter level of lockdown, um, uh, at least we're continuing with, with what we're supposed to do as the standard things to be able to survive this uh, very challenging uh, virus. And um, yeah, call, calling us to a deeper prayer and to concern that all of us will try and be as obedient as possible to survive it together. Mm. So thanks for asking, Lindy. I trust you, you and your family are also doing Okay. Yes, um, a bit concerned that the, the MAC has asked. Um, they they had a meeting today, I think, and we probably will hear some news tomorrow. Maybe a move to like a level four, or level five is on the cards, especially for Gauteng. Uh, it's just going insane there. Hope everybody's keeping safe. Numbers in the Cape are also rising, um, but widely being reported that it is approaching its peak, so we hope that to be true. Um, your theme that you've extracted is touched with healing grace, restored to wholeness, live as resurrection people. How do we approach this theme with the looming threat of further restrictions, the constant threat of the virus moving through the world right now? How 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 do we unify this idea and like the healing touch of Jesus? I think um, I think those those themes call us into living in the moment mm. and taking life step by step. Um we were talking earlier about cabin fever. And so the idea is that many people can't live restricted like under lockdowns. So what are they doing in that moment that frustrates them with the context where they are in? Mm. If we see life as a gift of grace, then we need to live that life that is given to us in the essence of what grace is. Mm -hmm. Grace is God's extended, undeserved mercy and favor upon, upon us. And, and that in, our, in the moment that we are in, it particularly when we when you think cabin fever is running away from that into a different space where we think we'll find the happiness we need, that the quality of this grace 
is not just given so that we have life. It's not only given that we experience favor, but it's also given that we may experience healing in our brokenness, in our fears, in our sense of restrictions. So this is a wholesome grace. And when we allow God in to touch us in that moment to reveal to us that life is a gift of grace to us, we need to then look on the inward side and say, why? What is making me run away from, from the context where I'm supposed to exercise discipline, where I'm to look at my context and find in it the happiness I can find? Then um, I'm able to allow myself to be open to the touch of that grace. And through the touch of that grace, I can then be on the journey to restoration as well as finding a new way of living in that moment. So that when I have to make the choice to move out of the cabin space into a space where I need to, to do, I'm doing so having given myself an opportunity to consider things like safety for myself, safety for others. I'm, I'm able to consider myself that when I go to the shelves, I'm not going to store up stuff in such a way that it will leave others without. I'm, I'm going to try and uh, ride on the roads in, in, in a sense of reaching out to others for their benefit without, without selfish and vengeful reactions. So if we choose to live in that moment of grace, we will be touched by... Um, because the, the grace and wholeness and restoration and resurrection are, are, are living realities because it comes from a living God. Mm. And so we, it, it's, it's through this that God is engaging us. And I would see it as all part of a, of a whole. Not, I, don't, I don't just need healing grace. I need to be helped to restoration to wholeness. And I need to know how to live uh, as, as a resurrection person. So these things are all part of the journey together. Um, but for me, it's how I live in the moment. How do I live in the moment? And how do I live within myself? What is going on within myself that I can't manage, that I need to know that God's grace is sufficient for me in every circumstances, as Paul had highlighted for us in his writings to the Corinthian church. Mm. Very interesting. You are touching on many of the themes that stretch through the two readings. Um, so if you could please call us together with a collective prayer, and I'll catch up with you after that. Good day to you, people of God, and thank you for joining us. Uh, again, at this weekly podcast, which is a journey of exploration to faith, I greet and welcome you with these words. The Lord with whom there is forgiveness is with you. As we continue, we do the collect for the fifth Sunday of the Pentecost, which will appear on your screens. And pray with me as I pray. Lord of life and death. Your compassion is steadfast and never ends. 
Touch us with your healing grace that restored to hope. Live as your resurrection people. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, ever and ever. Amen. So, yeah, the first reading is Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 8, verses 7 to 15. I will choose a few pointed verses to make my point. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter, I give, you my, ju I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only doing this work, but also to desire to do it. So this idea rears its head again that you you actually stated in um, before the collect of, of this undeserved grace. And then it's like this magical being who came down to earth and took pity on us and took our image and walked among us and gave up everything. But Aren't we said to be also made in the image of God? So, like, Jesus would then be our brother, and we would then be also deserved of all of the grace as well. Not so. Well, Jesus is our brother is an idea that is mooted in the Roman Catholic Church. We don't often see him as that in our context. Yeah. Some of us who, who lean towards the Catholic uh, mindset, we, we, we understand, the, we, so we embrace the concept that he's our brother because he's the son. And so we would, uh, and I think last week, was it last week or a couple of weeks ago, we had this whole thing about who is my mother, my brother, my sisters. Mm. Um, and so those who do the will of my father, Jesus said, would be my brothers, my mothers, and my sisters. So there is a sense in which Jesus is openness to being our bigger brother, our, our elder brother. Um, and the question would be, as an elder brother, when he sees his younger brothers and sisters not in the good space, having having been closer to the grace for longer than we would, would he not tell us the benefit of having lived by the knowledge of that grace? And therefore, because in essence, there is no doubt that um, because of our sin, sin has robbed us of, of, our, of, our, of, our, of, of a sense of who we are. Um, as those created by the love of God. Um, and so I think in the poverty of our lives now, we, you know, the, in poverty of what it, the poverty of what it means to be human, um, we don't have a full, I mean, often our behaviorisms are subhuman when we look around the globe. I'm, I've just been um, focusing now on listening to um, documentaries about 
gangs in the world. Mm. And, you know, this subculture that exists with a philosophy of family, with a sense of, um, I joined them because I wanted to be bad. Why is there this desire in some of us who wants to live badly? Because it, there's a sense of falseness of power over others. And then in that culture, you, your, 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 the culture is violence-driven. In the one, uh, in the New Zealand, for example, these um, Puritan states who never want to say they've got anything wrong with them, is being revealed where there are people. And, and what was the biggest thing? Because people are bored. Not mm. yet, not the young ladies, but the young men are bored. Now, what, what brings about boredom in us? Is that because we don't have a sense of ourselves? Is that why Jesus had to come to make us excited again that we are actually children of God? That we are unique, that we are co-creators with God, that we are born for a life of goodness and justice, that we are called to be peacemakers. What has happened to all of that? Um, and and why is there in humanity a sense where um, um, where people are proud? to be in depravity rather than in a sense of uh, re restoring humanity. Um, mm -hmm. You hear of the brokenness in families. Um, I was listening to a little report from uh, the youngest serial killer in the world is an Indian boy. Did you listen to his context and you wondered what led to all of that? Choices that other people make harm children, give children distorted visions and views of where, where their place is. What do they mean in all of this life? So why has that happened? And then you look at here, you said, but as you excel in everything. And so excel has to do with a sense of excellence. As you journey towards excellence, you're on the path to excellence. And, um, and, 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 and so how do we get there? And then it says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. When, when, when we didn't deserve to be helped, when we didn't deserve to be picked up from our fallenness, God extended his hand by sending Jesus to raise us up. Now, for me, that is how I understand what the importance of faith, belief, and trust in our creator God. Mm. Because Whilst there are some people who think they are able to create a world that is, um, how, do, how would I put this? I read this the other day, which confirms your stance that we create our own destiny. 
Mm-hmm. Whilst that may on a level be part of our responsibility and response to God, because I need to take interest in my destiny with the one who who has my destiny in his hand. Who better than God knows what destiny is best for me to to follow and to, 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 to appreciate? Because I will have an skewed vision of, of what destiny may be. And uh, lots of my attempts to, 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 to get to the destiny. Um, you know, I've had to make serious choices in my own life in the church. When, when I read favoritism to some of my colleagues, where I felt ignored, um, now in hindsight, I look back and I say, that was probably what I should have gone through, feeling as if I'm not really on the level where they were at that time in whatever mindset the church was, but to give my best at the grassroots in the moment where I was living in. How faithful was I there? Isn't that where my destiny starts? How faithful I am in the moment of what I'm supposed to be doing and taking responsibility in that moment and then gathering this vision, which I do so prayerfully to the God who knows me better than I. Jeremiah 1, 4 tells us how God said to the prophet, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. And at that stage, I already consecrated you. Then Jeremiah says, but I'm just a boy and I cannot speak. And God says, do not say that about yourself. So we have learned to say things about ourselves because it's been propagated by other people. And therefore, we've had to contend with favoritisms. We've been had to contend with insecurities, a skewed sense of self. Uh, of that, how do I find that path to and to excel in that which is good? So for me, verse 9 is important. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And how was this grace um, portrayed? Though he was wealthy, he became poor for your sake, so that by his poverty you may become rich. Okay, there's a lot, there's a lot going on there <laughs> in what you said. Um, I'm I'm going to preface it with a thought I had on Father's Day, which is now a week ago. I was washing my face, brushing my teeth, doing the whole thing, and I looked in the mirror, and I don't know why, it just crept up on me. But this realization that I was born into a world that would have rather seen me not be born, the government at the time, was dead set on reducing the numbers of <laughs> troublesome brown people. <laughs> yes. And, yes. And for an entire generation of people to grow up like that is insane. Yeah. And then you add to that 
the Group Areas Act and like the the concentrated effort to break down any sense of community within societies of people of color. And you end up in a situation that, of course, gang violence, or at least gang culture, would rise from that. Because where else do you turn? You have no place in society. You're unwanted. You have no you have no control of your own destiny, like the destiny that the powers that be that should be having the best interests of the populace, or should be custodians of the best interests of the populace, wants you to not exist. So you find purpose in community, in community with others, who are like-minded in the same situation, and then the whole gang culture rises. So, like, I'm I'm very sympathetic to gang culture, to um, drug abuse that rises out of this boredom. Because I'm in the generation where we have no purpose, we we have no great war. Like, we only know economic hardship. We only know. A, a weird idea of triumph, which, like in the South African context, that's what happened in 1994, where we achieved our freedom. But what was the cost of that freedom? And what is the continued cost of that freedom? It's like the national government, or at least the, <laughs> the Nats, just dropped the hot potato on the ANC and were like, okay, cool, you guys have to solve this problem now. And you now have to make it work for like <laughs> four really times funny. the number of people that we were, were making it work for. And now with, within this, you, you equate it to this idea of like, God knows the best destiny for you. And, and then there's this whole idea, like that's why I was specific to read that, like this idea that we must be thankful because we are ungrate, we are undeserved of all of these blessings that are coming out. And of course that puts you on the back foot as a person. Like your sense of self is just the messaging. Like me, if I had to buy into all of the messaging, it's like you shouldn't be have been born. Like, you must be thankful for every mercy, every little slice of grace. And I turn around and I reject all that. And I say, you know what? I am not a fallen angel. I will scrape and scrap and fight and claw and make something. Build myself up because I know that I deserve that because I have life. You know, every living thing on this planet easier to compete and live longer and that's the that's where i say it. it's like i'm i'm a risen ape i have equipped myself with skills and i continue to learn and better myself and i'm not just gonna sit and say oh thank you for this little bit of you know this crumb that has fallen <laughs> yeah but your gratitude your gratitude is not sitting in the, in the small corner uh, as a beggar gra grateful. 
Mm. What you are doing is saying, if I've been given life, even in the most putrid of situations that deprave life, mm. I, I have, by being given the gift of life, I have the ability to ensure that I can excel. For me, that's the work of grace, even though we may not put it down to that, but that we were not going to sit down and say, let the systems trample all over us. Um, people have died to stand up to the systems. And the way that our parents stood up, mm. they held on for dear life to their sense of God, to give us a sense that we could fight, to give us a sense that we could improve. They had to face the onslaught of that monster called apartheid. And that even deeper monster called uh, um, uh, poverty, to be able to say, we will not allow our children to, to lie in the dust, but help them with some measure to rise up, to transcend the ashes um, of all of these this things. Now, for me, whether we're conscious and aware of it, the determination, the ability to learn the ability to develop skills to pick oneself up from is because it's available. For me, I say that's what Jesus did. You may have a different sense of, of what it is, but for me, it was it is the grace of Jesus. It was the encounter with Jesus in a more weird way. Uh, once I've been brought through the level of where children, we're not really conscious of it personally. We caught, we are caught in the context, but we're not conscious of it. And when it came to a conscious understanding, a little bit of the, the person of our Lord Jesus, for me, that was where it became real. That's where life got its meaning for me. That's where I'm able to say, I don't have to do this on my own. I am doing it because I have the grace so that the abilities in me that was created in me, yeah, I've got to apply myself to my learning. Mm. I've got to get in touch with my anger. Uh, I've, got to, I've got to apply myself to developing, to having a vision. Um, how is that all possible on my own? Um, and some people may say, well, I'm a self-made person. How, how you got to that point, I can't say. Except for me, I can say that even if you get to the point of saying, I did it my way, like Frank Sinatra sang it, mm. means that you may not be aware of the level of God's grace active in your life, but I'm sure you couldn't get there without that grace. So I'm saying, yes, I have a, I, we, we must work on our salvation, on our destiny with God. But we do so in the context of those who showed restraint when they could have just fallen down into the ashes and died. Our parents, thank God for them, with little, they were able to achieve much. And when we look at our children and our grandchildren, we begin to see that um, happening. Unfortunately, now we're in a world which has is new for us, but which they seem to have embraced. We need to be able to ask, does our young people have, a, for me, from a Christian perspective, do they have the sense of grace? 
Do they have the sense that someone in the person of Jesus left his place of wealth to embrace our poverty so that we can become rich? And I hope that our young people will not be drawn into the um, the economic, the, the, the falsity of economic wealth, because while it's fine that people can get wealthy, we must just know that wealth mustn't control our lives. Mm-hmm. As must as, as a political system, it's about really finding our way to our humanity. Mm-hmm. That's what for me is a key thing. And I cannot do that without um, our Lord Jesus Christ. One day I was doing a, um, we were doing in the diocese with the bishop, uh, previous bishop, uh, um, an appraisals. Mm-hmm. Now, my appraisal, one thing stood out for me was the bishop saying to me, Rodney, I find you a very stubborn person. I had to go and look at what that meant in my life. How how does, and, and when he said it, it was like it's a negative. So how is my stubbornness projected? When I, I only know that when I speak to the powers that be, that's where there may be the stubbornness. Because I would stand up and ask a question and that bishop admitted because he couldn't deal with what he called hard questions, difficult questions, because I understood how to stay in power, you don't play your hand fully. Mm. This is across the board, whether you're in the church or whether you're in the world or whether you're the daddy and, and what's the name of the home, you always keep your cards to your chest and you don't play your full hand. The others are kept guessing. So when we stand up to that with our questions, because questions is, I need to be empowered. I need to know I'm asking why the situation is like this. And then the authority says, you're asking difficult questions and that difficulty means you are being um, a person that is very stubborn. Mm-hmm. So I had to look at that in my life. Am I really that type of person? And my boss is appraising me mm-hmm. and that is a negative in my life. I had to find out what that meant. I actually have to say to him, I disagree with him. <laughs> but what I do know is that, thank God he raised it. This is the mirror that he saw me through. Mm-hmm. It possibly was a threat to him. He's got to deal with why it may have been a threat to him. But I've got to deal with why he appraised me in that light. And was it, if others saw me that way, how was I going to deal with it? Now, I needed the grace. Not to write it off. I was thrown. I had to come to terms with that. But how was I now going to excel in showing that this is not I understand it to be, but this is me really speaking as I understand truth to power by a question. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to reinterpret this. And again, for me, that was the work of grace the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in my life. Because I know that I can could have gotten angry with that. I stood on the brink of expressing that, but I did not do it. And for that, I thank God. So 
the work of God's grace in my life gave me the opportunity not to, um, to be unnecessarily difficult, but to find a way to learn from it and then to say, how do I grow from this point? Because out there and in the house, people are going to label you. Your character and your personality, your thinking is all that others don't look through, through your actions and words and attitudes to define who you are and to categorize who you are with words. Mm. That, if we allow it to shape us, will form us in a particular way which we do not want to be formed and shaped. But what does grace do for us? What does the presence of grace in the person of Jesus Christ do for me? It helps me to recognize my poverty. And with his presence and work in my life, I'm able to be enriched in my humanity. Mm -hmm. Okay. Luckily, uh, unfortunately, I've, I seem to be incapable of playing my cards super close to my chest. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things where um, it's it's not because I want to prove to the world how clever I am. It's because I always want to test my theories and measure my my strategies. And whoever I consider to be either my peer or in my circle of trust, I like to bounce those things off of them. So <laughs> then all the, the secrets and all those things go out. So yeah, that's a, a character flaw on my side. The other character flaw that that, that I, I get labeled with often is one of laziness. Um, and it, it's a difficult one for me to, to come to context or at least to put in context is because I prefer to give myself only enough time as is needed to complete the task because I, I will wind myself up in a knot of and I just need to deliver. It removes any overthinking or second thoughts or anything. And it's like, you just do, and then you just deliver on instinct. And yeah, a lot of the times it works out quite well for me. Uh, but this is now oh, moving. Yeah. But, but just to see something into that, to say, I mean, I've appreciated the fact that you do your research. Even when I give you this late, you spend time making sure what the service is going to be, what are the themes. You come very much prepared. So I won't consider you to be lazy at all, my brother. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I've dealt with enough editors in my time <laughs> to <laughs> publish it. Um, yeah. Uh, so the gospel is Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. Um, so Jesus is being Jesus and then... One of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came nice. and when he, Jairus, when he saw him fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. 
Um, and then there's another woman who is suffering from hemorrhages, has heard that Jesus was going to be there, rolls up to him be in, under the cover of the crowd, touches his cloak, he immediately feels that power has... I love this line, I actually need to read it. Um, <laughs> uh, immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who has touched my clothes? So the lady gets healed. He's like, your faith has healed you. And then he goes to the, the house and everyone thinks the girl is dead. And he tells her to get up and she gets up. And then he tells him, you can't tell anybody about this. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. So here there's two things that I think we, when we, when we did this reading last year or the last time, I didn't get an answer from you. So Jesus is aware of the power that he has. And just by the mere touch of his cloak, a woman is healed of a long suffering illness. Why are there no more? Why are there not more stories of these people? Because clearly there will be a lot of faithful people who believe in everything that he is that have touched his clothes. And then why politically, as a leader, why can't he let his power be known at this point? Now, there's an interesting understanding of what is power and the demonstration of that power. In the, in this, in the reading of Corinthians that we read, we hear that the work of grace is about choosing to become poor so that others can become rich. So choosing to become powerless so that others can have power. Now, those that want power do not want powerlessness. Even in a structured system where you only can serve for five years, those who taste that kind of power and authority find it very difficult to leave office, unless you are like a Mr. Mandela who did not want to hold on to that power but understood political power in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, he worked from the basis of how powerful powerlessness is. So Jesus did not seek to demonstrate power in the way that power was understood by humanity. Um, it was in the powerless action of that, yeah, of that bended woman who, without any fanfare, just trusted, if I only just touched the hem of his garment, it would seem as if she was the only one who ever thought about that. I didn't want to be in his presence and known by him. All I wanted to do was, so the act of faith was to just touch the, the, the hem of his garment and I, and I trust that I will find the healing that I've been looking for for so long a time. And, and so the power of Jesus 
is not for the sake of putting people in positions of power, but his power is demonstrated in the act of love, in the act of healing, in the act of restoration, in the act of resurrected living. It wasn't to beat up the earthly enemy. How did Jesus defeat Satan? We saw that in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. He was able to say to him, get behind me. Mm -hmm. Using scripture. And how was he able to silence the storm? He could speak and the storm was calm. The one thing that he spoke to was also the fear in the hearts of those who, who followed him, who had not yet come to believe in him. Now we're having two stories that follow that one. We early on just challenged the disciples about their lack of faith. Mm. Now mm. we have, interestingly, stories about somebody on the other side, a synagogue leader. Not a disciple, a synagogue leader. We have a girl in the story. We have a woman whose condition of hemorrhaging would have put her in the back door, the back room of life because she was um, defiled. And so Jesus demonstrates his power in the powerlessness, even in the faithlessness of people. He comes to show his power. So it wasn't as a measure of God is there to free people and enable them to become all that he desires them to be. So the power is demonstrated for me in that. And then when I look at it from my perspective of faith, I see how the power of our Lord's longuity over those who want power. Um, I've never forgotten those words that Connie, Connie Bur, what's his name? Um, uh, one of the politicians, I can't remember his surname now. He was a theologian. And his perception of the tricameral parliament and the, you know, giving of what's in me, he said, if you share power, you lose power. That was his philosophy into that context. Jesus shared power here. By allowing the lady to feel his healing upon her, he wanted to know. He wanted her to stand out as a testimony um, of somebody unknown. Because she's not known. She, her name, Jairus, the father's name is mentioned, but the mm. daughter's name is never mentioned. This woman suffering from hemorrhaging, name is not mentioned. Mm. But... They exercised the act of faith and trust in him. So this is a very politically challenging story to the mindset of those who started. If those who opposed Jesus were from the synagogue, somebody amongst them saw him as the only help they could. I mean, I read this, I, I, you know, Jesus had just come off the sea. He had, didn't seem, according to Mark, to have any particular agenda 
except to minister when the occasion arose or created the opportunity to minister when he saw people in need. That was the essence of his power. He had vision to help. He had something in him. Uh, th that is when he, you know, related to the, to the passage in, in 2 Corinthians, he left what was wealthy. He gave it up, as it were. The second chapter of, say, of Philippians says that. Mm. You know? So that in giving up wealth, he could share his wealth, which was in his person. Um, and so he allowed himself to follow a, a father who, when saw him, fell on his face with begging. He called out the woman into public prominence mm -hmm. when he asked to touch the hem of my garment. How is his power released? It is released from his person. To empower those who are powerless through the acts of healing, restoration, and the calling into the life of the resurrected. Mm. So the power is not a demonstration of being. Now, I've got a great concern here. Drawing comparison to, let's say, the traditional churches where a whole lot of what we do is based on the incarnational ministry of our Lord, his death and resurrection. <laughs> and the work of the Holy Spirit is to teach us all that Jesus had taught us, to instruct us into the way of Jesus. So there is a very a, a deeping sense of calm about us, not a demonstration of power. On the other hand, you have charismatic church leaders who portray how powerful God is in their mind by how powerful they are. So their focus is on beating up the devil that has gotten hold in your life by beating you up. Um, telling you that money is important to guarantee your faith. Then when they are enriched by your um, poverty that you share, they can claim that wealth is a sense of my faith and therefore I'm powerful as a wealthy person who believes. Mm -hmm. And so this power ministries um, often have gotten people to want to run after it. It's exciting because mm -hmm. this, this is where God is active, you know. The feeling of the spirit is not necessarily in the silence of worship. It's in the loudness of what is called praise and worship. I'm not downing them, but I am questioning why they hold this thing up as the sense. And it's, and it's also set along rigorous lines. Rigorous lines is to say, if you can't speak in tongues, we'll teach you to speak in tongues. We have the power to do that. Mm -hmm. um, also, it is saying to them, this, this way of the power of God is that women must be submissive to men. Just because one text in the scripture indicates that. So I'm really concerned about this. I don't know if you remember, there was a time when this um, um, 
bodybuilders came from America also as evangelists and they did their stunts on the on the stage to demonstrate just how powerful God is. Mm-hmm. I looked at a video not so long ago. I don't know if you ever watched Shuri uh, co- commentates on it in a com- 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 uh, comical way. And there was this one pr- pastor in a camouflaged suit and hat with this toy rifle in his hand showing how he's fighting against the devil and he creeps he creeps along the floor with the words and the people are going crazy um for us in the mainland churches we're saying but the devil's already been defeated mm. why do you still think you can fight against the devil where or what illusion are you on you the, the power of, of Christ was this demonstrated in the power of God's love to send Christ to die for us. And it was by the power of God that Jesus was raised mm. to life. And so you now want to put up on an act to, to demonstrate how powerful God is. God doesn't need us to show, him, to show us how powerful he is. His power exists in the beauty of creation. In the power of love, in the demonstrator of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So, and in healing. And just by the touch of the hem of his garment, mm-hmm. if we do what that lady did, and when we heard as this 12 year old years, isn't it interesting that the lady suffers from hemorrhaging at 12 years, and the girl who's touched is also 12 years old? Mm-hmm. That interesting that those two those two come in the same story. Wonder what the significance of all of that is. <laughs> and here in this God, Jesus makes a, an extraordinary, extraordinary declaration for verse 34. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You are healed by your disease. The power of God, Jesus' words is to affirm faith, is to affirm who the person is, to, to ensure the person can, 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 can believe that their life is a life of peace and that they are healed from their, their diseases. Now, we don't have the full story to say how did she live that li- her life after those words were pronounced to her mm. in public. Now, so- sometimes the commentary tell us if you truly believe that this is how Jesus operates in people's lives then in a way he's indirectly saying that to you so you ought to become this daughter and this son whose whose faith he affirms whose daughtership and sonship he confirms and who sends us into the way of peace to be healed from our illnesses so so how how would we live um and so it draws us into the imagination of what these words would mean for us this hope that we get from those words that he gives us and to say daughter your faith has made you well in a in the face where you as a daughter were affirmed to be a second-class citizen worse off than a dog Jesus is making a very important political statement there. 
in the midst of a masculine thinking society, a patriarchal society. Mm -hmm. um, into the powerlessness of this father, Jesus comes and does what the father longs for him to do, takes the daughter by the hand and says, Talita kum, little girl, get up. By his word, she gets up. He calls her into life. That's where the power of God is. The power of God is when we are on our knees, powerless, not able to do anything for our children. Just calling on to him to help us. And so the story teaches us about parenting too. The care of our children. Especially when we listen to the stories of children suffering from life-threatening diseases. They've scarcely been born. And anxious parents who've just been given the glimmer of life. We don't understand why the suffering happens. So into this powerlessness, what happens? What does God do? What can God do? More like what have we taught ourselves to do? <laughs> um, I, 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 my, my, my other read of, of the story is he uses the one to make a public statement. And then when he heals the powerful man's child, no one must know of it. Um, I think it's a very, if you believe it all to be true, obviously, um, it, it's, a, it's, it's very telling of Jesus's knowledge of the, the position he held in society and what he was kind of building towards and how the optics he knew what the optics of, of his position meant. And it would have been a very bad look. And he would have probably had every person knocking at his door um, to heal their children had he made this known. So, yeah, I... Because I, I, uh, Jairus doesn't... He doesn't feature again, does he? Not no, he doesn't feature. He doesn't feature again, as, so, as I can understand. But it's very interesting that you raise that. Because when you read Mark's gospel, mm. the word immediately is a key word in the, in the rhythm of, of the gospel story. It mm. moves us very fast towards the cross. Mm. For it's in the cross that Jesus is is shown to be what he has been living to be and doing to be in his lifetime. Jesus, the savior of the world, the one who comes to bring the kingdom, the one who talks about forgiveness of sins and repentance uh, and about the establishing of God's kingdom right at the beginning of the gospel. And how does this happen? Through healing, through affirming people who are second class citizens. Mm -hmm calling people into life. So there is, so that's that's the immediate thing. But there's also another part of Mark that others pick, picked up here, don't tell anybody. Um, it's called the Messianic Secret. Mm. Uh, um, 
there was a time when the demons wanted to say who he was and he silenced them from speaking. Mm. Was it too early in the narrative for, 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 for people to know who he was? Is it the way that God chose for him to be revealed in the acts of power or was it in the act of powerlessness and uh, giving himself up for, to death for us all? That the true demonstration of who he is is being revealed. That mm-hmm. when it was only after the resurrection and the coming of the Spirit that the disciples were able to recall these stories, the recollections and the memories of what he did, that they began to understand how he said that. Now we know because the Spirit and the resurrection gives us an understanding of why he was doing all of that. So the Messianic secret is a very key um, tool in the in the story of Mark because he wanted to get to the cross quickly. It's only sixteen chapters, mm. um, and so the messianic secret was 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 a very immediately. Mm. Or is it something that? And would it then confuse people? Or would he do it in the way God wanted him to be revealed? Mm. It is far more easy to identify with the Jesus from whom power flows, even if you touch his, the hem of his garment. Mm. But that doesn't make him the savior just yet. Yeah, I don't know. As someone He's who works, the savior of the world, the ultimate of the world. And when we are at the foot of the cross, uh, touching his wounds, as Thomas was asked to, to do, uh, that we begin to understand who he really is. So the Messianic secret is also a tool Mark used in telling his story of Jesus. As someone who works in public relations, reputation management, like media curation, message curation, um, it's it's it's. I obviously am more fine tuned to how people present themselves, how they represent their abilities, and the yeah. This is one of those stories where it's like. If I was part of Jesus's PR team, I would have told him, like, yes, make a scene about that, but don't tell anyone about this, <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> because you understood the bigger picture of what he was about and who he was. Yeah. And who he was meant to be. But um, but you see, that that that's why in one level people would dismiss this, these stories because it's too unbelievable. Mm. And yet, even when you say unbelievable, the reality that such stories exist, somebody testified about this. Then as you deal with the unbelievable nature of it, according to your uh, modern mind or to your, your worldly mind, you then begin to say, but why would anybody tell us that Jairus had a daughter who was in this position of being close to death? And something dynamic happened with her. While the mm-hmm. while the her close world was weeping for her and thinking as all is done, their powerlessness, Jesus steps in and says to Little Kum. So there must be something believable about this narrative, this memory, this recall of an, a, an event that happened that said, Who is this one that? says Talitha Kuhn and this young lady immediately gets up and begins to walk and he says 
give her something to eat. She's not a ghost. Unfortunately, I am way too jaded to feel all the warm feeling <laughs> in that story. <laughs> I just see that's that's very clever PR. Um, the other thing I, I wanted to say <laughs> is that um, dealing with with uh, religious fanatics who want to show the power of God in terms of its power to conquer evil. I always disarm them by removing the evil and saying that the evil exists within us. So you're going to kill all the people then because there is no hell. It's the same way I disarm vegans uh, when they jump on their eye horse and it's like, I actually don't care about the feelings of the food that I eat. Um, and neither should anybody else because we are here to consume everything you kill robs life force from another being and how or how where do we draw the line between which life force is more important um i was accused of so my question to you my question yeah. to you then what will consume you i don't care <laughs> <laughs> if something comes around and starts hunting humans um, another planet you know that's just the way the world works that's the philosophy that i buy into um, i was but accused of being ignorant in the week as well online your, your survival will, will kick in at some point as survival of everything else kicks in. <laughs> i'll try and run outrun them like not be the next piece of meat on the plate but you know you still have to give them credit where it's due you know <laughs> um, uh, yeah I was, I was accused of being ignorant but it was just some troll talking about cape independence and he was trying to attack me on a on a on an emotional level by using words like that and i never defend myself i always claim my i own my ignorance because it's like now the onus is on you to explain your situation so it's like i i believe in independence of certain groups um, but this one doesn't. I This is the argument that I see. And now you take the floor, sir, and convince me otherwise. <laughs> Bring me onto your side. And that, I found, is is the quickest way to cut through all of the crap and the nonsense of emotional arguments. Um, and on that, Father, I will close. And if you could add a few extra thoughts and then extract a few brief points of reflection from the praise of the church. As we go into prayer, I draw from the context of the stories we've read in the gospel, the hope we have in Jesus. And so our prayers is to continue to give God thanks for all that God is doing and for us to respond by singing God's praises. And so we pray that God will fill God's church with new life to proclaim God's wonders. That God will, will be with all who carry the burden of government. We think of our own government as it takes the responsibility to, to, to be responsible in this and every aspect of our lives, particularly the crisis of COVID facing us now, but also in the crisis of poverty. Also, um, the level of crime and corruption. That God will hear the cries of all who mourn and long for that which cannot be. And turn our wailing into da dancing, O Lord, at the promise of your resurrection. 
On Wednesday, the 24th of June, it was the awareness day of drugs, drug addiction, and human trafficking. And the horror stories that we read about in terms of human trafficking, which is a billion dollar industry according to realities. So we pray this prayer. Dear Lord, that just as you helped Moses and Aaron as they spoke boldly to Pharaoh on behalf of the Hebrew slaves in Egypt, that you will help us to speak up for modern day slaves around the world. Pray that through our actions, we can help bring an end to human trafficking. We know of many people who are caught up in the drug addiction situation of our country and of the world. So we think of them, people we know close to ourselves, those who have been delivered from the addictions and those who are still struggling deeply for their, their uh, addictions. And also we pray for the ones who are trying to help people come out of their addictions. So Lord, we lift up an increasing number of women and men who suffer from drug addiction and pray that you'll provide them with the grace and strength to reach out to you for the necessary help and guidance that they may need as they take the important steps to recovering their physical, emotional and spiritual health. Give courage to all and hope to all who are seeking to break its demonic hold over the lives of so many. And may the power of your love and grace transform their lives and also the families of those who are addicted, knowing that Jesus alone is able to break the power of drugs, to turn a soul into freedom and to bring beauty for brokenness. As we have earlier said, COVID has reached to a now new phase of a third wave, a new variant and its aggressiveness. So we continue to pray into this situation, recognizing that hospitals are so flooded with cases um, of those COVID positive that other people are, are not able to come to hospital as a result. Author of life, savior of the world, COVID is humbling, thanks. The compassionate care we applaud for the vaccines we are grateful. For compliance, we plead for the common good we pray in the healing name of Jesus. Amen. We ask you to bless Africa uh, as, as you bless all other continents. Guard our children, guide our leaders and give us peace. For Jesus Christ's sake, amen. And so as we come to the end of this podcast for this week, we are grateful to Lindsay for his leadership. We are grateful to you for tuning in. And we pray that you may indeed have a blessed week going forward as we pronounce God's blessings over you now. Go out among the outcasts and the grieving and speak the word of life and hope. Do not fear but trust in God's word watch for the Lord with eager expectation and be generous with all God has given you and may God respond to your every cry with mercy 
May Christ Jesus take you by the hand and lift you to life. May the Holy Spirit build you up in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in passion, and in love. Amen. So, my sisters and brothers, let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. 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 In the name of Christ we go. Amen. Amen.